But this time, I invite you to turn now in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 23. If you're just joining us this morning, we have been in our series making our way through this majestic book of Isaiah, and we're still in this large portion in the middle where we find these prophecies or oracles against the nations. And this one here is against Tyre, the city Tyre, uh, and those people of that land, which was a neighboring city just 25 miles north of Israel. And so let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy word from Isaiah chapter 23. An oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed and left without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus, word has come to them. Be silent, you people of the island, and you merchants of Sidon, whom the seafarers have enriched. On the great waters came the grain of Sihor. The harvest of the Nile was the revenue of Tyre, and she became the marketplace of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, and you, O fortress of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I have neither been in labor nor given birth. I have neither reared sons nor brought up daughters. When word comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report from Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, you people of the island, is this your city of revelry, the old, the old city whose feet have taken her to settle in far-off lands? Who planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are renowned in the earth? The Lord Almighty planned it, to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Till your land, as along the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish, for you no longer have a harbor. The Lord has stretched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia that her fortresses be destroyed. He said, no more of your reveling, O virgin daughter of Sidon, now crushed. Up, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that is now of no account. The Syrians have made it a place for desert creatures. They raised up their siege against the towers. They stripped its fortresses bare and turned it into a ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, your fortresses is destroyed. At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, the span of a king's life. But at the end of those 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take up a harp. Walk through the city, a prostitute forgotten. Play the harp well, sing many a song so that you will be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her hire as a prostitute and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothing. So far the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it this morning as we consider it and meditate on this passage. 
Well, loved ones, in the year 1987, a movie came out called Wall Street, perhaps some of you, some of you saw it, where a man named Gordon Gecko, played by uh, the actor Michael Douglas, gives an impressive speech in a room filled with shareholders at a paper company. And in his speech, he unashamedly and famously says this, greed is good. Greed is right. Greed works. And greed, you mark my words, will save the USA. And now, this represents a popular belief that is still present in the United States of America today and around the world. Uh, the belief that there is a healthy form of greed which is, in fact, good. Well, friends, this morning... I want to argue from God's word against greed. God's word contradicts what Michael Douglas's character said in that movie. The Bible says that greed is not good. It is evil. Greed is not right. It is wrong. Greed does not save. It destroys. And so first, I want us to consider how greed destroys. That's our first point. Greed destroys. Isaiah here addresses Israel's neighboring city of Tyre, which was a manifestation, we could say, of greed gone wild. Now, what do we know about the city of Tyre? Well, this city, this ancient city, was located on a Phoenician port, and it was an industrial center built on an island about 25 miles north of the land of Israel. It was likely a colony of the nearby city Sidon, but eventually surpassed Sidon in wealth and influence. And because of its prime location, Tyre quickly became prosper prosperous and heavily fortified to protect their wealth and prestige. You can see that in verse 3, where Isaiah refers to Tyre as the marketplace of the nations that has enriched its seafarers. And then we see in verse 8, where Isaiah describes a city calling it the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes and whose traders are renowned in the earth. So we find that they were this international trading superpower in their day in the ancient world. In addition, the Tyrians were known as workers in dye from uh, shellfish. It was a purple dye that they extracted from shellfish, uh, and it was highly valued and held as kind of a royal uh, connotation in the ancient world. It was used uh, purple cloth for royals. And if you look again at verse 18, the last verse in our passage, we see a reference to that when Isaiah refers to the prophet that would come from their fine clothes. So Tyre, we find, was this productive and prosperous manufacturer of goods and also a wealthy merchants that sent, exported, and imported trade around the ancient world. Now, what was the problem with this? What was wrong with Tyre? Well, in verse 7, Isaiah sees through the city in its revelry. The word there for revelry means presumptuous, arrogant exaltation. We're the best. We're the greatest. We're rich, and no one can touch us, basically. And Isaiah, Isaiah sees underneath that success. And then in verse 9, he sort of shows us the X-ray pictures 
of their hearts, the below-the-surface reality of their evil pride. And he says the Lord God had planned to bring down her pride in all her splendor and to humble all who were renowned on the earth. So in that, we can conclude that they were greedy for gain and they were proud of it. There was nothing stopping them in their pursuit of more and more profit. And they felt secure in their money and success. Isaiah, in this passage, is warning them that their money is no lasting refuge at all. It's not a place to take comfort in or security in. And the Lord God Almighty will not tolerate forever the proud greed of the nations. So let's pause and ask ourselves this question. What is greed and how does it destroy? What is greed? Well, the term in English, greed, comes from the old English, gredage, which means always hungry for more, voracious, just this insatiable desire for more wealth, more money, the nagging hunger, never content, never satisfied, always wanting more material blessings. And we find that greedy people are never content with what they have in life. They always want more. They're always after more money, more material possessions, never content, never satisfied. And now the whole counsel of God's word, not just this passage, but the whole counsel of God's word denounces clearly greed as a destructive evil. One clear passage is found in Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, which is what we read earlier in the law this morning. And listen again to what Paul tells young Timothy about the destructive nature of greed. He says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what God's word says about greed and its effects on people, on society. Now, how does wanting to get rich cause someone to fall into temptation? How does that work? Well, when people have greed so lodged in their heart, they get a kind of tunnel vision. We can all picture this, right? Uh, they zero in on making more money, more profit. And so what happens? They start to ignore others in the process. They ignore the exploitation or misfortune of others in their pursuit of more money. Uh, I was thinking it kind of works like horse blinders. If you've seen them, those little leather caps that are placed in the side of a horse to keep them focused, to keep the horse from seeing anything off to their side or coming up from behind them so that they can focus only on what is before them. And that works well for horses. It keeps them from getting distracted or scared. But it's harmful for humans in the sense that, well... The greed keeps us focused on profit while preventing us from seeing the poor and the needy around us. We get that tunnel vision and only see the profit and the gain and we neglect others. The greedy person revels in their fortune while others reel in their misfortune. And this is pictured very clearly for us in the parable that Jesus gave about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 where Jesus starts off in the parable saying this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen 
and lived in luxury every day. Now that purple linen and then fine clothing is probably a reference to the product from Tyre itself. And so there's a connection to Tyre. uh, And that's what they were famous for. But Jesus continues in the parable saying, "At, At this rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So what do we find in this parable as Jesus sets it out for us? Well, the rich man ignored the plight of his closest neighbor, Lazarus. The rich man was willfully blind to his basic needs and to his longings that he had in his heart. The very one who was laying day after day by his gate. And that last line is very telling and and damning of the rich man. Even the dogs, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The dogs had more compassion and sympathy for this poor man, Lazarus, than the rich man did. And this is a strong rebuke against this rich man, against any and all who would exalt and revel in their own prosperity with blind neglect for others in life. We find that greed is not good. No, greed destroys. Greed makes people do all kinds of evil just to get more money. Greed is destructive. What else does God say about it? Well, 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Proverbs 14, 31 says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So God is very concerned with the poor and seeking care for them. And to dishonor them is to show contempt for God himself, whereas to honor the needy and the poor is to honor God himself. Now here's a question for us. How does this greed practically play out today? Well, in many ways that we could speak about and talk about together for a lengthy amount of time, but I want us to consider our own relationship with other countries because that's sort of what's at play here, Tyre and its relationship with other countries and world trade, etc. And so let's consider the fact that the United States of America is the second richest nation in the world today, but we like to buy things cheap, don't we? And I am no different. I love a good deal. But how is it that companies in the United States of America supply products at such a competitively low price? Well, driven by the motive for profit, many manufacture goods where? Overseas, right? Why? Because of the lower production costs. It's cheaper to produce overseas. Now, this is not a necessary evil, but it definitely can get ugly and evil. Take, for example, and I'm not exactly calling out uh, Walmart for great evil here, but take, for example, Walmart. Uh, How does Walmart maintain their everyday low prices? Well, partially due to the fact that 70 to 80 percent of their merchandise is made in China, which means very, very cheap labor. And we criticize here in the West uh, China for their oppressive communism, but Think of the hypocrisy, in a sense, of how many products that we buy day in and day out that were made by exploiting, we could say, over 112 million Chinese people in low-paid manufacturing jobs. Do you know how much 
a Chinese factory worker makes on an average day? About $5.51. It's incredible. It's so low. Now, why are they paid so cheaply? It's, it's complicated, far more than I can understand in world uh, trade and economics. But partially, it's so cheap because companies want to produce a product at a fraction of the cost, which drives down prices to be super competitive. And what is the result? Well, when we go to the stores, our regular stores to get products, they're very cheap. And we can buy tons of things, material things, and still retain the vast majority of our wealth. While millions of people around the world in third world countries or in China itself are making those products and still in poverty. Now, I know this is difficult for us to consider, to think about, to hear why it is out of sight. It is out of mind. We don't see it happening. And so it's hard for us to even imagine it, to wrap our minds around it. It's also far more complicated than what I just described. It's far more nuanced. Uh, there is no quick solution to this problem on a global scale either, and there doesn't seem to be much that we can do about it here as individuals in the United States. And so it's kind of a, a guilt that we don't know what to do with. Nevertheless, it, it seems clear with the evidence that people like us in the United States, we keep buying products manufactured overseas while millions of factory workers that made those very products stay poor. Now, that is one example of greed manifested in the world today. Here's another one. Here's another one. And it's and greed's destructive power. We can all agree, no matter where you stand on the political aisle, you know, on the left or the right, we can all agree that sometimes politicians don't do the right thing. Why? Because their biggest financial supporters give them donations with strings attached, right? And so they might know and see what the right decision is with respect to legislation or passing bills and laws, but why do they not do it? Well, because of greed. Greed for money. Greed for power. Greed is destructive and it perpetuates all kinds of evils in the world. And that's my point that I'm trying to show you, that greed is this kind of insidious, dark beast coming out of human heart that is, finds itself in all different parts of life. And as Paul says, it is a root of all kinds of evils. And this seems, well, unsolvable for us from a human perspective. What can we do about it? And when Israel looked to Tyre and all her success, I'm sure they thought the same. What can we do about this problem of Tyre and the greed? But here in Isaiah 23, we see that the Lord God Almighty will not allow greed to be forever unchecked. It is not an unsolvable problem for God himself. God will not let his creation or human society be totally destroyed by human greed. And that leads us to our second point, that God deters greed. He deters greed. In this passage, Isaiah is foretelling the downfall of Tyre's prosperity. Look again at verse 9. We see that. He says, the Lord Almighty planned it to bring down her pride and all her splendor and to humble all who were renowned on the earth. So God was going to bring them down, humble them in a great way. And look again at verse 11 now. The Lord has stretched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia 
that her fortress be destroyed. So the sovereign Lord was planning to interfere to deter the greed of the Tyrians. And in case they doubted, perhaps they doubted in their pride the possibility of their own downfall. Oh, it'll never happen to us. Well, verses 12 to 13, look there. 12 to 13, Isaiah calls them to consider the land of the Babylonians. Those who were proud, those who were great, the people who were so mighty and powerful, the Babylonians, they were brought down into ruins and left to be like a place for desert creatures. They were brought to no account. And so Isaiah is saying, Tyre, see how this powerhouse of Babylon was brought low to a place of lifeless ruins? What makes you think that you are untouchable in your wealth and your prosperity? You're no different. The Lord will bring you down as well. He deters the greed of the nations. And when did God intervene to bring down proud Tyre? Well, the Tyrians had built their fortresses. They were fortified, and so they uh, kept up a strong fight throughout uh, the, the centuries uh, for many years. But eventually, in the year 701 B.C., the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, devastated the mainland and did vast damage to Tyre's trade. And it wasn't until about the year 630 B.C., 70 years later about, with the decline of Assyria, that Tyre began to revive and was restored. And so, from the year 701 to 630, 700, or sorry, 70 years total, Tyre faced a devastating economic recession, we could say, under the reign of the Assyrians. And look at verse 15. Isaiah predicts that very historic reality, saying, At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years the span of a king's life. And then it says later that they would be restored after 70 years, just as Isaiah foretold, so it came to pass. What does this tell us about God? It tells us that he does not tolerate greed. Arrogant greed destroys humanity, therefore God powerfully intervenes at times in human history, in the affairs of the, of the nations, in order to bring down powerhouses in greed, like the city of Tyre, like Babylon, and other nations even today. So each judgment against such a greedy nation like Tyre within human history is in fact a warning of the final judgment, which is to come at the end of the ages. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says this, of the final day of judgment, for, all, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So you might not think that greed is that big of a problem or a great evil. You might think like Michael Douglas, ah, greed is basically good. It has its function and purpose in the world. God doesn't see it that way. His wrath is coming on those who are greedy. And such people, he says, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That fact alone should cause us to rethink our approach to money and how we desire often for more. What well, we've seen that greed destroys, we've also seen that God intervenes in human history in order to deter greed by 
altering the global international affairs, of bringing down nations that are proud in their greed. Now to our last point, the death of greed. In the last part of this prophecy against Tyre, look at verses 17 to 18. We hear the prediction of an interesting turn of events. It's hard to understand. But after bringing down Tyre for 70 years in that economic recession there, God planned on restoring Tyre and repurposing its production of good for holy use. The production of goods that they had for holy use. We can read it again, 17 to 18. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her lucrative prostitution, which is a metaphorical uh, explanation of their greed, uh, doing whatever they were doing just to get money, doing immoral things in order to get money, and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth, yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. What is that describing? Well, Isaiah here had a vision of the future given to him from God. And about 300 to 400 years later, when the Jewish exiles, after they were exiled from the promised land by the Babylonians, when they returned to the promised land to rebuild the temple there, we find that the Israelites traded with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Israel traded food, their goods that they had, especially olive oil, in order to gain from Tyre cedar and other building materials in order to rebuild God's holy temple, which was set apart to him. So God had a plan. He planned on transforming old greedy Tyre into a generous giver. He had a godly purpose for Tyre in the end. And the language here of Isaiah describes these goods from Tyre as set apart, not stored up or hoarded in greed, but instead their profits would be generally given to those who live before the Lord. So this tells us that God's intention was to put to death greed while saving sinners who are trapped in greed. It shows us that God's grace is sufficient to transform greedy sinners into blessed givers. And interestingly, the people of Tyre and Sidon reappear in the New Testament when we find Jesus uh, teaching his disciples. Some come out to Jesus to meet him. And Luke tells us about this in his gospel in chapter 6. He says this in verse 17 to 20 of Luke 6. He, that is Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him, to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out of him, healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, we find here that eternal blessedness that Jesus is offering, that Jesus gives freely, is not bought with money. It is obtained by faith alone. And what did that faith look like? It looks like those people coming from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who went to Jesus in faith. Their ancestors had been rich 
the old wolves of Wall Street in their own day. They had great reputation of wealth, but now here they are, poor and needy sinners coming to Jesus. The greed that they had had destroyed them, their city, their people, had caused all kinds of evil in the world, and God judged them for it. But on that day, the people of Tyre, there in the trouble of darkness and in their despair, they went to the light of Jesus. What did their faith look like? They saw their need. They saw their poverty. And they went to Jesus to be healed and to be blessed by him. So friends, at the close, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in Luke, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What does life consist of or consist in? Well, Jesus tells us in John 17, as he prayed to the Father in his high priestly prayer, he revealed what eternal blessedness is. He says this, Father, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Real life consists not in abundance of possessions, but in knowing your God, your Creator, and your Redeemer. Knowing that He came, He who was rich came, gave up all of His riches, so to speak, to become poor, in order to redeem us, to forgive greedy sinners like us, and to remake us, that we might receive the blessing that only He gives and in turn be restored into blessed givers not greedy takers and so we have this great comfort in what christ has done for sinners like us at the end don't trust in riches don't be greedy for more greed is not good greed destroys god will bring death to greed in the end as we already saw earlier there will be no greed nor greedy people in god's kingdom on the end and for all of eternity So don't die with your greed and your possessions without knowing God, without knowing Christ, your Savior. Get to know Him, get to know God and Jesus, and ask Him to transform your greedy heart into a generous heart, like the heart of Christ Himself. His grace is sufficient, loved ones, to heal us, to forgive us, and to bless us. Look to Him. Amen. Father God, we are humbled as we come before your word, and it reveals with x-ray vision the sinfulness that still resides in our own hearts. We recognize that we do not have the gratitude and the thankfulness for all that you have given us. We do not live in that contentment as we ought to, but often greedy for gain. Uh, We cause all kinds of evil in our own lives, in the lives of our loved ones, and we perpetuate evils in the world. Lord, we thank you that Christ came, the King of kings, leaving behind his riches to become poor, to die the death of a slave on the cross, the death of a criminal, in order to free us and liberate us from all sin, including greed, and to restore us again, not as greedy sinners, but instead as generous givers. And so by your Spirit, make that into a reality 
Give us faith to look to Jesus and let us, by your Spirit, be a city on a hill in this place showing the world what it looks like to find true life, not in an abundance of possessions, but in knowing our God and our Redeemer. Make this a reality in and through us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing.